Coming to you from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, by way of Stone Mountain, Georgia, birthed by the great state of South Carolina, is the Bryant Land Country Podcast, your place for any and everything in hunting, fishing, sports, and outdoor related, with heavy doses of randomness, guests, and an all-around good time. Here's your host, proud Gamecock, South Carolina Forever, AB3. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Bryant Land Country Podcast. Thank you for taking the time. Come on in, downloading our podcast. We are continuing to roll on on the BLCP. We have a great show for you today uh, with Mark James. I am six, Mark James. Very cool brother I got a chance to talk to, but I'm going to set that up here in a moment before I get in to the guest, I just want to talk to the fellows for a minute, especially the fathers with daughters. Um, I experienced something this weekend that um, I hadn't experienced. And um, like I said, just want to put it out there, talking to the dads out there, especially dads with daughters. You know, my, my daughter turned, 13 here over the last couple weeks um, we had a party for and you know she's a teenager now and you hear all the horror stories about how you know teenagers the teenage years they change and stuff you know my son's 14 he's a teenager he's towering a past, towering past me you know growing hitting his growth spurts and whatnot but it's different when your daughter you know goes from the little girl that you used to bring stuffed animals home from a you know work trip or whatever, and you see her face light up and she's just happy to see you, uh, you know that kind of deal. To when she sees a boy, uh, a boy that she says it's just a friend, daddy. You know that's what she says, but it's clearly you know that first time when you see her interact with said boy you see a different kind of smile you see a different kind of blush that is not the blush from a daughter that is happy to have you know a stuffed animal from a business trip or a t-shirt from a work trip that's a different kind of blush and uh i just want to go on record and say i don't like it and i know that it's a i guess a part of a natural thing you know as your kids get older but, um, yeah, not a fan. You know, he seems to be a nice kid. He came over, you know, had, you know, or came to the party, rather, had a good time. It was paintball, so that was fun. Uh, we were on the same team. Uh, it was boys versus girls, so I did not get a chance to uh, load him up with uh, paint, if you will, But because uh, we were on the same team. But, you know, it was a good time. Like I said, seems like a nice kid. The little bit of time that I spent around him, she seemed to think that he was nervous. I'm not 100% convinced that he was nervous, but I just know the way that I saw her smile and blush when we when that little fella came to the party. It's just like that's different. That that that's not a a, a daddy generated smile. So I don't know how, like I said, I don't like it. 
I guess, you know, I got to get used to it. But, um, yeah. And it, and it was funny because she was like, well, you know, when he comes, it's like, uh, when he comes to the party, it's like, can you not make it awkward? And I'm like, what do you mean not make it awkward? <laughs> you know, my daughter, God love her, she knows me. Um, I would not intentionally make it awkward, but, you know, I, you're a boy and you're talking to my daughter and I don't like it. So, you know, we're not going to be besties. We're not going to be buddies. Okay. Even at 13, you still, you know, you got to watch out for these little guys out here. So, but she was like, Hey, don't make it awkward. And I'm like, I'm not going to make it awkward. I said, you so let me tell you something. You better be glad the little mother truckers coming. Okay. But you know, she's a good girl, does everything, you know, that we ask her to do or whatever. So, you know, if you want to have a mixed gender party, especially something like pink ball, I said, what the hell, why not? But, man, I got to tell you, the way things shook out on Saturday when that little fellow arrived, um, I was not a fan. Brightland. But I have moved on from that because today, like I said, we have a great guest, Mark James from Panther Protection Services. And, you know, I learned quite a bit from Mark just uh, in the conversation. We had a conversation before we actually recorded, which normally I don't do. I usually, you know, I'll talk to the guys or gal, you know, a few minutes before, and then we go in and record because I like for the conversation to be really organic. But we talked, Mark and I, for probably about 30 minutes the day before we recorded. Like I said, great guy, uh, professional background in uh you know corporate america started his own protection service uh business and then most of all of course he's a hunter um right here in georgia big deer hunter big bow hunter really enjoys bow hunting and it was just great for me to be able to talk to him and kind of pick his brain and just find out the parallels between you know the work that he does uh in the protection services industry and then how that translates into making him into one badass bow hunter. So in our conversation, we go through that. Um, he's got some pretty good ideas and thoughts um, about representation and inclusion uh, in the outdoor industry. As you know, that's one thing that I'm big on here with the uh, Bryantland brand, you know, is putting the light on black folks and women, people of color, if you will, that are out here in this outdoor thing, doing it and loving it. And uh, so he, we get in a conversation about that. And then, like I said, just two guys, as always, just two guys kicking back, talking about hunting, outdoors, getting on these deer and stuff. So it was a great conversation. I'm going to go ahead and roll sound, hit the record button. You guys kick back, listen to my conversation with Mark James on the BLCP, the Bryantland Country Podcast. Bryantland. All right, I got Mark James on the line here on the Bryantland Country Podcast. Mark, welcome to the show, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. And I appreciate you taking the time. Before we get into everything <laughs> with your background and then your hunting and everything that you got going on with that, one thing that we did not, or I didn't get a chance to ask you, where are you from? Like, where did you grow up? <laughs> 
I was born in New York. Uh, my parents moved to Florida, went to high school and college in Florida. So those real developmental years, which I really think high school is those real developmental years, I spent those uh, I spent those in Florida. I went to high school in Sarasota, went to college in Tallahassee, Florida A&M. After that, I was a good corporate citizen. <laughs> yeah, you know, 20, 22 years in corporate America. You lived in Houston, Cleveland, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, Oregon, most of those places twice. Had 15 corporate moves in the course of my 23 years in corporate America. Then I finally one day said, well, enough of this moving stuff. I'm, I'm moving back to Atlanta and I'm doing my own thing. And here's where we are. Nice. Nice. So you move, moving around, got to see the country, see different yeah. places, and you made Atlanta your home. So the, one of the things that I've noticed since I've started doing like my research and paying attention to the metro Atlanta area and just Georgia deer hunting in, in general, majority mm -hmm. of the big bucks in the state of Georgia either come from South Georgia or they come right here in Metro Atlanta. <laughs> so yes. that I live in Stone Mountain, but I don't have access. You know, most of my access is down uh, in middle Georgia, but right. just like I said, Metro Atlanta, I've seen some of the bucks that people drag out from around Absolutely. here and, and it's phenomenal. Oh, I'll tell you, I, um, you know, I, 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 I live in Atlanta. I live in Fulton County. And I can say that um, in the woods behind my house, there are some definite trophies walking around, walk, walking around back. There. Well, it, it really comes down to you can't rifle hunt in, in the city. Right. Most hunters are rifle hunters. Not a lot of people are bow hunters. And there's really no pressure on them other than getting hit by a car. Or developers taking away taking away their habitat because no one bow hunts. Right. And so they just get smarter and smarter and they learn the pattern of people. They say, okay, well, all the kids are at school, everybody's at work. We're gonna walk the subdivision at at ten o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the afternoon. And we know about three o'clock the kids come home from school. So probably by two, we're back in the woods, we're back in the wood line and we're just gonna bed down until later on tonight and we'll Walk your subdivision while you sleep. <laughs> right. It is it is truly remarkable. Now, one of the things too, just in your answer to that question, it gives me a perfect transition to what drew me to your profile. So scrolling okay. through Instagram one day and I'm looking, I see your pictures, high quality photos, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. So I start digging around a little bit more. And I see protection specialist. And I'm like, right. hmm, okay, that's it. Arrested. So, you know, I hit you up, yada, 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 yada. Tell folks, because you even in our initial conversation, you had to smarten me up. Tell folks <laughs> right. what protection specialist, protection services, because I guarantee you a lot of people probably thought what I thought before our initial mm -hmm. conversation. Okay. Well, I always like to tell people, people ask me, they say, Mark, what do you do? I said, I'm in protective services. I said, I, I own a full service protection agency. And they said, 
do you do security? I said, no, I do protective services. And now (laughs) do we keep people secure in the course of doing protective services? Absolutely. But I like to separate the two because sometimes when when you hear the word security, people think about a uniformed officer. They think about people like Wagon Hut or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I never want them to be confused about what we do. A lot of times people do, who do static security, uniform security, they might do maybe residential security. They might do mall security. They might do security at an office building. But once again, it's uniform. It's, uh, it's over. Everybody understands what you do. And um, it's usually unarmed, correct? A lot of times it's unarmed. Sometimes it can. Sometimes it can be armed. But once again, there's a certain there's a certain profile that goes through people's mind when they think about some uniformed security officer. Sometimes, sometimes that mental image is incredibly good. Sometimes that image is not so good. Mm-hmm. I tell people I do protective services. I said I want you to think Secret Service. I want you to think that our primary responsibility is keep people safe from harm. It's protecting their brands. It's keeping them safe from embarrassment. And so there's a lot more to it. So I never want people to be confused about what it is that we do. Some people think about it as a bodyguard. Within the scope of the protective services industry, we usually like to separate the two because a lot of people think about bodyguards. They think about the Hollywood version of what they're used to seeing when it comes to protectors. And that's the guy who's 6'4", 300 pounds, big muscular guy, right? right. That, that, that has a place. You know, hey, there's, when, it, when it comes to creating space, hey, the guy who's 6'4", 280 can create more space than the guy who's 5'10", 175. But what we do in protective services is more risk mitigation than risk management. Risk management is it just hit the fan. We're managing through the dynamics of this crisis. Right. Risk mitigation says, how do we avoid the crisis? How do we keep from being in that position so I have to use all of those hard skills that I've been training on my entire life? If I can avoid having to use those skills, that's a better place to be because an escape beats an encounter every time. So 75 to 80 percent of what we do in protective services, we do it before the client ever shows up. Right. Right. So so I that's why I like to separate those two, because when you think about when you think about a lot of people who are doing static security, think about police officers. Right. Something goes bad. You call the police. You say, come save me. Come come write a report. Somebody broke into my house. Right. Okay, that's reactive. So we try to be more proactive so we're not in those situations. How do we reduce the likelihood of making you a target so no one breaks into your house? How do we harden that environment to to reduce the risk of somebody breaking in? Because a smart criminal says, these guys got too many things in place that we don't even want to have to deal with. It's going to be too hard to defeat this. Let's find somebody else who hasn't put that much work in. Right. So, so. When you think about the Secret Service, the Secret Service doesn't say, hmm, let me put the president at harm, Bruce. Let me see if my if my vest is really level 3A, <laughs> right? They say, how do we keep the president out of harm's way so we don't have to use those that protective and evasive driving? We don't have to test our body armor. We don't have to bring out the counter-assault team. So that's what we do in the world of, um, of, of protective services. And I, I kind of say... 
it's it's parallels so much into what we do for those of us who are sportsmen, those of us who are, who are hunters. You think about the most successful hunters that you know. They're successful not because they go in the woods and they can shoot a deer. It's not their marksmanship capabilities. It's all the stuff they do in the off season. Right. And, and and understanding the patterns of the deer, understanding the food sources of the deer, and understanding all of those things is being able to follow the signs, right? Right. It's 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 looking at scrapes, it's looking at rubs, it's 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 you know it's it, it it's look it's looking it's looking at squats, saying, okay, I see turds, I got bucks, I see pellets, I got does, right? Right. right. And it, it, we know if we have enough does, when a rut comes, we're gonna have bucks. And see, that was the thing, like, when we were talking before that really, really intrigued me because of the parallels. Like how you were saying, you go in and it's not reactive, it's proactive. Right. You right. you go in, you survey an area, either if you're familiar with it, you surveyed it before, or if it's your first time, you go in, you survey it, you look around, you find out your weak spots. You find right. out, you know, where your strong suits are, and then you take the preventative maintenance. The one thing that we talked about last night that I thought was really, really cool, and I want you to kind of go over that again, was the um, pinch points. How, right, like right. in hunting, we try right. to set up our stands in pinch points for ambushes. Same right. kind of theory in protective services. Right, except for it's just a little bit different, right? Right. We know we know that that that. A pinch point, a choke point, whatever you want to want to call it. That's it's right. an area. That was the word. It's, choke it's, point. It's, it, it, well, pinch point, choke point, same thing. Depending on who, who you ask, what dictionary you look in, but it's done. It does the same thing. It's typically an area which restricts movement. It slows things down. It channels things right. right. So we want the choke point because we want to slow that animal down in their movement across space. Right. We want to funnel them into an area. Because why? It creates an ideal ambush site. So in protective services, we look for the same things. But why do we look for them? Because we want to avoid that choke point. Right. We want to avoid that pinch point. Because if there's a likelihood of an attack, it's probably going to take place at a place which restricts movement, which slows things down, right? right? Which yep. causes everything to almost come to a stop. Because now, if I'm a bad guy, I have an opportunity to have an attack on principle. Because I've heightened the percentage of where I might have the best shot at that particular person. So our question is, how do we avoid those choke points? How do I move my client through there faster so that I can lessen the likelihood of being at an ideal attack site? Or I know I have to be dead on full alert when I move through this particular area. Because it creates the greatest opportunity. So just like I look, when we look at moving a client, we look at route planning, right? Right. Well, when we we're out in the woods, we look at we look at travel plans. Also, we're looking at route planning, right? Okay, where where do we find out where is the deer bed down, right? right? Where are the food sources? So he's going to move from his bedding location to his food source at a certain time of the day, right? Mm-hmm. At the opposite time of the day, he's going to move from the food source towards the bedding area. And and how many hunters do we know, they run in the woods, they get in their stand over and over and over again. They're like, man, I'm not seeing any more deer, right? And and they're hunting in the tree line. Okay, we got it. You're, 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 hunting, you're hunting in the hardwoods. Why are you not <laughs> seeing any more deer? Because all the acorns are gone. Right. Right? So what are the deer doing? 
they're going across the street to the farmers where there's where there's soybeans, right. where there's peanuts. They made, right? right. They made the adjustment. Right. And as a right. hunter, they made the, you got to be able to make, make the adjustment. adjustment. Right. right. And but too many times, people who aren't sportsmen, who aren't woodsmen, they don't make the adjustment. They keep going back to the same stand over and over again. And they're like, man, I'm not seeing any deer. I'm in this club and I pay all this money to be in the club. I ain't shot a deer in two years, but you haven't scouted in two years. <laughs> so right. it's not by accident that you're right. not successful. Right. And you always come down at this particular time when there's nothing planted. Or you always want to go hunt over the field because you feel you have a longer shot. And you do. But the but the but the farmers harvest the crops already. Right. Or, there's no food source over the field. And, and it's funny because I like uh, people that follow me and follow our podcast and follow the brand know that I'm still classify myself as relatively newish when it comes mm -hmm. to hunting. Like I started about five years ago. So, but one of the first things that I remember someone telling me. It's like you are hunting the deer, and although the deer aren't hunting you, they are definitely pattering you. So if Absolutely. you show up at the same stand at the same time, every single time, it's like, okay, well, we know we can avoid this area from X this time to, to this X window. time. Yeah. Right. So you, like you say, you got to get out and you make your adjustments. Especially if you're a person who doesn't do scent control real well, right? Or you're incredibly <laughs> loud and walking, oh my and walking God. through the woods. And that's why I always tell people, if you learn how to bow hunt, you'll become a better woodsman regardless of what tool that you're hunting with. Because, you know, as a bow hunter, your scent control has to be, has to be very good, right? right? You have to be very good about how you manage your movements. You have to learn how to play the wind. So many times it's not a function of a hunter doesn't have the capabilities to make a shot, whether with a bow or whether with a rifle. It's they, they rush the shot. There is no discipline in the movements. There are times when a deer will walk in on you and he sneaks in on you. And you're like, man, how the hell did this deer get in here? <laughs> right. And guess what? And if you're a rookie, you're rushing to grab your rifle. You're rushing to grab your bow off the hanger. Right. right? And, that's and it's movement. that fast movement. Yep. What? Movement attracts attention, right? Yep. You know, now, in protective services, we say movement attracts attention. Attention attracts gunfire. Mm. Right? So, mm. so guess what? <laughs> so they realize <laughs> movement attracts attention, and on the other side of that attention might be gunfire. So they're getting the heck out of dodge. Right. Right. So right. we. So those of us who are a little more seasoned, we might say, "Yep, the deer walked in on me. I need he. We he. he it's, it's predictable." He's going to drop his head. He's going to eat for a couple of seconds. He's going to raise his head. He's going to look around. So when he drops his head, I just extend my arm out towards my bow. Right? I know he's going to drop his head. He's going to raise it up again. He's going to look around. He's going to drop it again. Now I lift my, my bow off the, off the bow stand. Yep. It might take me nine moves to get the full draw. Right? But, it, but, but that's the discipline part. That's the patience of the hunting. Because if I try to do that in one or two moves... There's no way I can do that before he raises his head and looks around again. Right. Because as soon as he raises his head and you make too sudden of a move, he's going to get out of Dodge. He's going he's, he's gonna to get out. He said, I'm not sure what this is, but I'm not going to stay around to figure it out. <laughs> they, right. Deer are not curious. That is right, for right, sure. Right. So, so it's not. It's, so we laugh because it's like, 
So guys wonder why they, why they're why they're not successful. It's because oftentimes we're not patient. Yeah. And that's the part about and and the hunting shows sometimes give people this false sense of reality because they want to make good TV theater. Right. So oftentimes at the good at the end of a hunt, there's a harvest. Well, we know that they shot 20 hunts before they got one harvest. Mark, you know what? You would think that people know that, but being a TV person, you'd be right. surprised how many people think that they just go out, they get in the stand, they shoot the deer, or they go on a duck hunt and you know they shoot right. their limit, and then they come back and it's all high fives and happiness. And right. when it's not like that in real life, People go in and then they bang on, you know, TV and they're like, oh, well, TV is ruining hunting and all this, that and the other. I always yeah. tell people, if you are not smart enough to decipher right. different things that you see on TV, that's not a TV problem. That's, right. that's on or, you because, like you said, it's theater. It's entertainment. Right. Now, now, can you get to where you can harvest deer like that? that easily yes you can it's typically going to an outfitter right right you're paying a lot of oppor- a lot of money for the opportunity for, for this opportunity. shot yep right now what what they've done is they've grown their own trophies so they let the deer grow at some point it's not like shooting fish in a barrel it's probably a oftentimes a high fenced area where once again because i say high fence it doesn't mean it's a small area but they have cameras out there they have feeders out there throughout the year. They pattern those animals. They have remote. They have remote readers, so they can read it from from their satellite. Yeah. You know, from, from their from their satellite feed, so they never have to go in those woods and disturb those cameras. Right. Unlike most most of us regular hunters, our poor hunters, we don't want to spend two hundred dollars on a camera, three hundred dollars on a camera that can send send us the images remotely. So they've got those deer patterned. And they know that there's this great mature 10-pointer that comes through every morning between 7 and 9 and, and enjoys his meal, right? Those route, th- there's no pressure on those deer. So for five or $6,000, you could shoot a trophy deer too. <laughs> so, but once again, it's because they pattern those deer. Right. They, take, they take away all of the work that the regular guy who's not going to a high priced outfitter has to do for himself. Right. And the only way to be successful and, and taking and harvesting game is you have to spend time in the woods. You got to do the, you got to do the work. Right. And that's, so, 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 and that's what people aren't doing. And so when, when I look at what I do in protective services, keeping a client safe is about doing the work. That's why I say 75, 80% of my job is done before the client ever gets there. I'm route planning. Guess what? I'm watching the route planning of the deer. I see which way they walk from time to time. Right. Okay. Those of us who understand the woods, you can look at, you can look at a little trail and you look at that little narrow trail. You know how wide the deer shoulders are. You you say, okay, you see the high grass, you see that you see it matted down. You say, he walks this direction, right? right? If we're looking at the scrape lines, the rub lines, we know which way the bucks are moving. We know which, so we set up typically off that trail. So we know where all the food sources are around our property. So we know at different times of the year, 
where the where the deer are going to be moving. Yeah. And we know we and we know that farmer has been planting the same crops <laughs> year after year after year. Right. And if you get to know the farmer, he'll probably tell you, hey man, you know what? Next year I, I've been planting soybeans all this time. I think I'm gonna plant cotton this year. Or you know what? In my in my tree line, hey, you know what? You know the the kid, you know, the kids want to take over, man. I know you've had the hunting lease for a while, but I want to be honest with you. My kids, my kids want to clear cut the property. They want to make some money off 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 the paper. Yep, off the yep. Right. Yep. So, so if you are in touch with what's happening around the areas you hunt, you know when your habitat's getting ready to change. But but no one wants to do that work. No one wants to get to know the people around them on the properties around them. No one is managing. Are you wondering what? Why am I not seeing deer? Because in the, guess what? The other club that's on the land next to you, they got all kinds of food plots planted. Yep. And when the nat- and when the natural sources They're doing have dried up, yep. right? They made sure that they create there's no different why we why people put put feeders in the woods, right? If there is no food source, you create a food source, right? Or if you know the acorns are going to drop at a certain time of the year. And you have a wooded area. You don't have access to some of the other options. You create options that still keep the deer on the property. Keep the does. The bucks will come. Absolutely. <laughs> but, if, but, if, but, but, but if you shoot up all the does, guess what? Then, then unless it's the rut time and bucks want to fight over territory, you don't have something that makes them. You know, and, and throughout the history of time, you know, hey, males have been getting killed chasing tail. It, thank you. Three, Thank re- you, Mark. Re- re- Thank regardless, you. Of spe- regardless of species. Regardless <laughs> I, of species. I've said that over and over again, and sometimes my non-hunting friends, especially women, look at me like I'm crazy, but it, it is true. I posted a couple of months ago during turkey season. I went on a turkey hunt, and we sat there. The female came down, and she walked around, walked around, walked around. Okay, about 10 minutes later, the tom came off the tree. He mm-hmm. came in following her, and I popped him. And yep. that hen looked, and no, she didn't take that back. She didn't even look. I popped the tom. She came. She ran off. She might have looked down at him while she was running away, <laughs> but right, then right. she ran off. And I said, see, this proves my point. I said, they woke <laughs> up together. Now he's going in my freezer. She's going to go back to the tree and probably right. be with another Tom later on tonight. It happens for all animals. <laughs> it's what well, you know, what, well, what, I, what, what I tell people is, is for me, the the part that's, that's, you know, I, I got, I got a type A personality. So stuff I, I do, I typically like to do it. I like to get to do it pretty well. I like to know a lot about it. So I do the research and everything else. But the thing about, about hunting to me that's fun it is the learning how to call animals it's learning the whole process it's learning how to uh, you know how on you know how how walking in the woods or learning how the how that tom wants to be the big bird in the woods yep so you so whether you're making a, a crow sound or you're making an owl sound like you learn how to make those other sounds just to make the gobble gobble right and then and then once you hear him gobble you then say okay where do i want to set up because I hear the direction of where he is. Yep. And if I can make him gobble a few more times, then okay, now we're pissing him off. He <laughs> wants to be the big bird in the woods. <laughs> so now we know where we're going to set up because we know the direction 
that he's probably going to come from. So then you so then you start doing your calls, you're doing your calls, you're doing your calls, and then you say, okay, well, I see him starting to come in, but he's still a little bit slow. So you start making that call be a little bit more faint, a little bit more faint. And now it seems like the hen is walking away from him. So what does he do? He he increases his speed and wanting to come in now because he doesn't want her to leave him. Right. Right. So so that's the fun part to me about about the hunting. It's making a call and and calling, you know, calling a deer. You start you start working your sense and putting your sense out and you're creating mock scrapes and you're making him come in and want to defend his territory. Because, you know, I, I tell people, I said in a fun way, I said. They're like, I said, they're like, they're like pimps and they think that they own a block. Right? <laughs> and so um, it's like, well, wait a minute, I own this block, right? And I'm defending my territory. And wait a minute, who is this guy grunting in my territory? Right. Who's this guy who's marking, who's marking, who's marking scent on top of my scent like it's his territory? Right. Right. Who's so, trying to take over? Right. Who, who's trying to come in and take over? So, he wants, and then if you start rattling, he's and you're the dominant buck. You're like, wait a minute, if anybody's defending this territory, it's me. Who are these other two guys right. who think that they're fighting over my territory? Like, wait a minute. <laughs> and so that's the part about the hunting part that when you get into really becoming a sportsman and really get into the behaviors, that's the part to me that is fun because, to be honest, I I used to rifle hunt a lot. Mm-hmm. But once I got into bow hunting, rifle hunting became boring because really there is no challenge in taking a well, there is a challenge in making a two hundred yard shot, right. right? But I don't have to be real good at scent control. I don't have to be as good at playing the wind. Right. I don't even have to put no camo on. I can go <laughs> I can I can go get in the stand or go get in the shoot house. Yep. And at two hundred yards, the deer doesn't even know I'm even in the woods. So so the part about the hunting part, that's the part about where what, what it really attracted me to bow hunting was, you know, I was in a hunting club with, you know, with, with my uncle. I used to hunt a long time ago as a kid. Okay. And, and, and like a lot of people, you started out first with a BB gun. Sure. You know, my parents and my uncle raised me to write. We started out with the BB gun. Then I went to the 20, then I went to the 22. Yep. Then I went to the 410 shotgun. So I went from, you know, hey, shooting rabbits and squirrels. Then it was okay. Well, now we're going to get you a little bit more advanced. We're going to teach you how to shoot them a little bit while they're moving. Mm-hmm. That's where the 410 shotgun came in. Then eventually it migrated towards the 12 gauge. And then I think the first real rifle I shot was one of the rifles that so many people had was a 30 out six. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. And then I went away from hunting for a long time. And I'd say, shoot, I went away from hunting for probably 20 years. Mm. And, and one of and my uncle who got me involved in hunting initially he used to come down to Georgia from Florida, He'd come up to Georgia from Florida. And he and some guys were in a hunting club together. He said, Mark, you know, Hey, come on, go hunting with me. And you know, me, my tape, my person now, I think I had a, I had a Jaguar at the time. And <laughs> so I, I drive out to the hunting site. I, you know me, I got to get my own gear. He's like, they're like, dude, we got enough guns between me and my buddies. You don't even have to you know. I got to go. So I went and bought a 270. Yeah. Right. And so, um, I went and bought me all, all brand new hunting gear and, and um, 
So I drive up, I got my Jaguar. These guys are going to pick up trucks or, you know, SUVs or pulling their four wheelers. And they're looking at me and they call me city boy. Right. Yep. So, um, so I already know we, how this is we, going to go. So, so, we, so, so they put, they put me in a stand. Right. And they're like, well, the night before they're all talking to me and they're grilling me and they're laughing at my Jaguar and everything else. And they're like, um, have you ever deer hunted before? And I'm like, well, no. And they're like, okay. So, so like, so they're kind of laughing like this is going to be fun. Right. So we, they put me in a stand. My uncle goes to his stand. His buddy goes to his stand. And, um, a little bit later, they hear this shot crack. Right. Yep. So, you know, no big deal. And, um, so they, you know, my uncle's buddy, Joe texts me, says, uh, he says, Mark, was that you? I said, yep. They said, you get anything? I said, yep. So, <laughs> you know, so no problem. So we, a little bit later on, another shot, right? So at the end, at the end of the morning, everybody's kind of checking in with the other guys in the club on different properties. Hey, how'd you do? Shot this deer. Hey, how'd you do? So-and-so shot this deer. They said, okay, how'd you guys do? They said, well, actually we got three deer. <laughs> and they're like, well, they're like, well, how many do you shoot, Joe? He said, none. And they said, well, wait a minute. Well, how many did Charles shoot? And they said, I'm none. They said, well, how'd you get three deer? They said, Mark shot three deer, right? <laughs> so we, so we get back, you know, long story short, the guy said, I thought you said you never deer hunted before. I said, I hadn't. They said, well, how'd you shoot? Three? You didn't ask me if I could shoot. <laughs> right. It's two different things. Right. <laughs> I said, so, so, so I, I mean, I, I knew the concept, you know, like, hey, put it behind the shoulder, right? right? Put it behind, put it behind the shoulder, release the round. It's going to go through both lungs. You know, life's going to be pretty good after that. Right. right? And uh, so we're going to retrieve the deer and they're looking at one and I'm like, okay, boom. And the next day we're, we're out hunting and um, I, I take a deer the next day. This time I'm hunting over a field. We go, they say, well, where's the deer? I said, out here, we keep walking. So we, we drive out, four-wheeler, pick up the deer, and they look back at the stand. They look at the deer, they look back at the stand, and they started laughing, right? So I said, what are you laughing about? They said, that's a pretty good shot. I said, I wonder how long. I said, 225 yards. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so so I, that, was kind of the, uh, that was kind of the fun part, my indoctrination into my first kind of deer hunting club Nice. And um and and kind of you know goes to show hey be careful how you talk about people because they might be better than you realize. Exactly. And uh, but but I was smart enough to at least when the animals came in to just kind of sit back and watch what they did. Right. And um kind of size them up. Right. And so and so as I watched them raise their head, I watched them and I said, Okay, I see the little process of how this is gonna work. So there isn't there's no need to rush to rush the shot. And um and from there the same, some of the same guys would also bow hunt. And, um, so I would watch them bow hunt and in between rifle hunting sometimes and the guys would bow hunt, they would pull out their bows and these guys talk trash like you're hooping or something. Right. Right. So, um, so, cause so shoot the decoys. And so I'm like, Oh, Hmm. So, you know, me, well, everybody else has a bow. I'm need a bow. Right. So I go buy me a bow and I learn how to shoot. You learn how to shoot it pretty well. Yep. So it was so, and then once I started bow hunting, I fell in love with it. And if I could do it, all I would do is bow hunt. I, I would never even really rifle hunt. But I also realized that bow hunting can be incredibly frustrating 
when sometimes you're like, man, this deer is just a little bit out of range. Man, if I had a rifle, this would be over. I'd already be, be over. I, yeah. I, I, I'd already be going home. That I don't but, even uh, rifle hunt, and that was me the other morning. I'm looking at a deer. I'm sitting in the blind, and I'm looking, and it's got to be at least 80 yards or whatever, 80, 90 yards. And I'm like, right, right. if I had a rifle, this would, yeah, yeah, this yeah. would be done. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't have to rattle anymore. I don't, I don't have to grunt one more time. Oh, boy's going to, you know, we – I would be walking back to the, I would be walking back to get the four with it, come back to go harvest it and, and, and to bring them back home. But like I said, but, 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 but as you, as you, as you know, bow hunting will make you so much better. And like I said, give it, I would, I would bow hunt 90% of the time well, if I, if I had the opportunity. Bow hunt teaches me personally something that I don't have a lot of and I've gained a lot of since I've started bow hunting. That's patience. Before I, was, before I started bow hunting, uh, I'm not exactly the most patient person in working mm-hmm. in television. You know, it's like you got, especially live TV, it's like right. now and right now. Like there's, that's right, right. the only, you know, the only right. two things. But bow hunting, man, that you talk about something that if you don't learn patience quick, you know, you're right. going to be ready to pack it up. So, well, you, you know, this is the thing you talk about being in television. I think, you, you know, you being a director. And, um, and if you think about, uh, about if you think about snipers right and mm-hmm. you think about great cameramen they both share a common platform and it's the ability to stay in the lens right yep at the point of crisis because in order for you to get that sensational shot to capture that trophy winning national geographics shot that cameraman at the height of crisis took that picture and captured that image of all the pain, all the stress, all the drama, all the anxiety, he stayed in that camera. He stayed in that lens in order to get that shot. That is the same thing that that sniper had to do when he's waiting on, on unfortunately, that target to mm. present itself, mm-hmm. and it's being able to glass all this time. It's it's us in the woods sitting up there with some with our binoculars, and it's you buy good binoculars not to look at the deer in the field. You buy good binoculars to see the deer in the tree line. Right. You buy good binoculars to see them before it's quite really, really light to be able to still see, or are you starting to lose light? Right. Right. That's what good, but that's what good glass gives you. Whether it's good binoculars or whether it's good optics on a scope, it's to see it, it not under ideal conditions. And that's the part that, like I said, there's so many commonalities between the discipline that it takes to be good whether you're a cameraman or whether you are somebody glassing through the woods or whether you're a hunter, it's, it's those times to stay in that glass for a long period of time. Now, there were two things that I jotted down while you were talking. I want to circle back to. Now, mm-hmm. you were talking about scent control. Yep. And in bow hunting, most people, you know, average bow hunting height, 12. 15 foot down down somewhere in that range i got Mm -hmm. a couple of guys that i've talked to in recent weeks and then people that i also know personally they get up 25 some even 30 i say at that point you're high-fiving god at 30 feet in the air (laughs) right Um, right right what's your like comfort zone like what's your favorite height to hunt at i think a lot of times to me it depends on it depends on the tree it depends on what's around I mean, I've I've taken deer at, at at 15 feet. I've taken deer 
at 20 feet. I've taken them at 25 feet. I think, I think as long as, I think, I think as long as you, as long as you get up, I, I think 15 to 20 feet, I think that's, that's plenty high enough. Yeah. If everything, because the, the biggest thing is I had a, a deer I took um, a couple of weeks ago. I was probably up, oh, I don't know, 12, 15 feet, I think. Mm-hmm. He, he came, he came walking in from behind me. I realized where he was going to come. I knew where feet, where feeder was. I knew where his rub line was. He came walking in behind me. He stopped probably 10 yards to the right of me. Stopped, looked right at me. I just sat still, never, never made eye contact. Mm-hmm. I knew he was going to pass me at some point in time. And I just kept looking straight ahead. I said, eventually he's going to walk past me. As long as I just sit here and be, and, and be still, he walked right on past me and this is where you know the power of behavior. He walked. He never walked towards the feeder. And this this is what I knew was it was starting to be pre rut. Mm-hmm. He walked straight to his scrapes to freshen up his scrape. Mm. Gotcha. And I kept saying, I kept saying, okay, well, is he going to turn now from the because the scrape line was right on the edge of the tree line, mm-hmm. so his vitals were being blocked by the tree. And I'm like, okay, um, come on, walk towards that feeder. <laughs> and and he walked, he walked 12 yards away from me at about 11 o'clock walking away from me. I'm like, oh, man, am I going to get a shot? Am I going to get a shot? Am I going to get a shot, right? It was probably about a 20, 20, 25, 20, 20 25 yard shot at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And as he was walking away, he was walking towards another scrape. And then, and then he gave me, and then he gave me the vitals. And, um, so I, I had an opportunity to, to, you know, to get a shot on him. Right. But, um, but, it, but it's, once again, it's understanding the behavior and saying he's going to move here or he's going to go here. Right. And it's just being patient of saying, wait on a shot because an impatient hunter would have said the first time when he stopped to freshen up his scrape, when you didn't really have a shot at the vitals would have still tried to make a shot. Right. Right. And, um, one, if you hit the deer, it's probably going to be un- unethical. And now the deer might eventually die or he's going to be severely wounded. And I know you're going to make him die a violent death at the hands of coyotes or something else, because he doesn't have the ability to get away and run away right. and escape. And that's the thing that I think that separates real ethical hunters from hep- hunters who aren't as ethical Right. is I think an ethical hunter, he might make a bad shot, but he'll never intentionally take a bad shot. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and um, so, but if you're, if you're patient, because the worst thing could have happened, the deer didn't know I was there because he'd have walked on off and he'd have come back the next day or or in the evening because he didn't feel any pressure. Because you didn't even alert. He didn't even know you were there. You didn't give him a reason. Right, right. So there was so there was nothing that made me have to release that arrow and take a bad shot. Patience, grasshopper. Patience. Yeah. And and once again, that comes with time. Right, right. Because you know, because a new hunter, whether whether he's a bow hunter or a rifle hunter, would probably still try to manufacture that shot anyway. Right. And you never stop learning. I mean, right. it's it's one of those things. Even now, like, you go out. You know, I went out yesterday. I was like, okay, you know, I've been hunting, 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 you know, the last couple of weeks or whatever. It's like, let's just take a day. Let's just go 
walk around, see what is outside of the areas that where you mm-hmm. normally hunt. And right. sure enough, I found two more trees that I can use my climber on, and I found a yep. whole bunch of scrapes. And it's like, see, yep. that's why we do this, kids. <laughs> we right. take right. the right. chance. Yep. We take the time to go out and and do your do your scouting. Now, favorite call grunting in a buck or rattling a buck or calling in a turkey oh man (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you what i think turkeys is way more interactive yes i agree it's 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 way more interactive it's it's way way more interactive because i think because i think sometimes with bucks you're kind of you're kind of scared to overcall right with um with bucks and the reality is most people try to do what they see on tv in reality <laughs> the buck to doe ratio and their area is probably nowhere near the same so there isn't the same amount of sparring there isn't the same amount of fighting that's going on because the buck count is very very different right and um so sometimes you're just you're rattling with nothing in the area you're making noise with nothing in the area and once again they they aren't sparring yet, so you're 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 rattling too early, right? Or you're rattling too hard when they're just lightly sparring because they're still basically a bunch of bachelor bucks hanging out together, right? It's, right. So so that's why understanding the conditions and when the environment is starting to change is is you know you can kind of know that things are changing when you start seeing all those deer along the side of the road, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Okay, because because those bucks are chasing does now, and unfortunately, they're the second ones to try to cross the street, and um, sometimes didn't work out real well. Yep, that's so, uh, yep. so. So so you can start seeing signs even before you get to your property, because you're seeing the environmental signs of what's happening around you. But so many times, it's like we miss those opportunities. It's, it's like with my dog. It's like. Sometimes people will say when it comes to training their dog, well, I'm going to walk, I'm going to take my dog to the dog park, which is half a mile from my house. And I'm going to train my dog in the dog park. Well, you can, but you've missed a half a mile worth of training opportunities on the way to the dog park. (laughs) So, so we see signs all the time. We sometimes just don't recognize what we're seeing. Or moving too fast to see them. Correct. Well, like I said, the the deer getting hit crossing the highway is a sign. It's a sign that they're moving. It's a sign that they're chasing. Right. Okay. Yeah. You saw one deer that was hit along the side of the road. Okay. That's not a sign. Okay. But when you see on the way driving down, driving down Interstate 20 on the way to my hunting property, I'm seeing driving down 20, I'm seeing four to six deer hit on the side of the road, I think somebody's chasing. Right. <laughs> right. That's not, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> right. Right. It's, so it, it wasn't the one deer that I saw that made me say, Hmm, maybe they're starting some pre-rut stuff. Right. Right. And so that's where you start looking. So now when it starts getting into the calling, if you start getting into doing scent control and you start, if you're a guy who does the drag rags, right mm-hmm. now you're starting to say, okay, now I'm going to, you know, do one, one, I'm going to do one drag rag in front with, with the scent of a, of a doe and drag rag in the rear is going to be the scent of a buck. So I can, so I can simulate that this buck is walking behind, you know, is walking behind this doe. So 
there's so much about about being in the woods. It's just so much fun, and that I and that I really love. And I always tell people that one of the best ways to keep kids out of trouble is to get them in the woods. Yeah. And with all the things that you see when it comes to gun violence and kids actually getting shot, you rarely hear about kids in rural parts of the country accidentally getting shot by guns. That's true. Because, not, because, because they grew up with them. Exactly. And and like a lot of a lot of young men are naturally attracted, young boys are attracted towards firearms. I don't know if it's come from playing G.I. Joe, cops and robbers as a kid, cowboys and Indians <laughs> or whatever, but we grow up with this fascination sometimes or an attraction towards guns. But right. kids in the country, it's it's no big deal because hey, Uncle Charles is gonna take me to the woods, we're gonna go hunting. And I know I can shoot the shotgun anytime I want to. Exactly. Because Uncle Charles is going to take me. So I learned how to break it down. I learned how to load it. And once you you take your kids from long guns into handguns, they learn how to load it. They learn how to unload it. They learn how to lock the slide back to the rear. So there is no need to sneak and look at it in the nightstand when dad's at work because dad will take me to the range to shoot it whenever I want to. And in the, in the country, we just go in the backyard and shoot it. Right. right? So you take so away, the, you take away right. the curiosity because you, you take you away give the cure. You take away the, and I know that uncle Charles will take me to the woods anytime he's not at work and it's the season, he'll take me out there. So yeah. there's no reason for kids to have accidental encounters with firearms. Yep. I, but I, those, I've introduced mine to him at a at a young age and it's funny because i did a podcast a couple months ago with a very close friend of mine and we talked about how growing up in the country is like you know we didn't have all the measures that you take now like safes there were no gun safes the shotgun was behind the door and you don't touch the shotgun unless there's an adult or you like you say you're going out hunting or you're just going shooting or whatever like it, but it, it it's amazing just how those times have changed from when we grew up. But you're you're 100% correct. Like I said, I introduced my kids at an early age. He's a gun enthusiast. He's in, introduced his son at an early age. I mean, you take away the curiosity, you know. Well, you know, the other thing is that I, you know, and, and I, I'm not going to make this be a political show, but I want to make a comment that I think sometimes that we sometimes miss. Too many times, you know, I look at this, I look at this country and at a time of toxic politics and political arsonists, there's too many times where people want to use our differences to divide us as opposed to our common ground to unite us. You can think about the sign that might be in the front of your yard when it comes time to vote for your candidate of choice, whoever that is. But think about those same people who might have two different candidates. But when I'm in small town USA and I'm at the diner and I'm sitting at the counter and a guy walks in in his camo, that conversation is about one thing. Hey, you have any luck today? <laughs> Man, you know right. what? Hey, hey, right. hey, good luck. Good luck this afternoon. Right? Right. right. I might, I might buy that guy breakfast. He might buy me breakfast, especially if we see each other. A couple, hey man. Uh, hey, good luck on your hunt. And, you know, the check comes and it's like, oh, that guy took care of your breakfast, right? Or I took care of his breakfast. There was no red states and blue states. There was no Republicans or Democrats. It was a couple of guys talking about deer, right? right? And if the guy has a son or a daughter, 
and she took her first deer or he took his first deer, to see the excitement on that kid's face is as exciting as the excitement you saw in your kid's face, right? And so that's why I say too many times we don't take that common ground to say maybe we both care about the same things. Maybe we just see different strategies how to get there. But as people, we're the same people who really love to do the same things. And and it's funny. It's funny that you say it because it's like I'll go in full camo in Walmart up here Mm -hmm. in Stone Mountain. And, you know, people look and it's kind of like, okay, whatever. I'll go in full camo in Warren County or right. Covington or, you mm-hmm. know, out Absolutely. once you get out of Metro Atlanta. <clears throat> right. And the con- like you said, the conversation is completely different. It's like I walk right. in full camo, harness still on, and the guy's like, hey, how'd you do? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm just coming to get Cheerios. Like I wasn't right, right. and I forgot right. I got this on. And right, it's right. like, hey, did you see anything? <laughs> you know, it's, right. Yeah, and, so, and that's why, like I said, so so I, I would hope that, you know, as as people, we would find we would find more ways to use the things that that bring us together to bring us together. Mm-hmm. And I think I think as, as I think as a country, we would be a lot further along as, as as if we treated everybody like like the common people we were when we were sitting down at the diner talking about hunting and talking about education and talking about. Hey, making that kid laugh or making that kid smile. Or I remember one day I was I was driving home um, from the woods, and 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 my girlfriend called me. Said, "Mark, you know, hey, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the news, and there's a weather front's coming in, and it's going to get really bad, and it's and it's in your direction. It's coming your direction." So I said, "Okay, okay, I guess I need to get on out of here." So I, I get out of here, I pack up the four wheeler, put it on the truck, I'm driving home, and I'm probably driving a little faster than I need to be driving coming home and i and I'm, I'm driving home i get i'm getting pulled over i'm like oh shit i'm about to get a ticket <laughs> You're right. and um officer put, comes up to me he stops me he um he says uh he says sir he says um he says do you know how fast you're going i said officer i said uh i said uh i said to be honest i said i, I can't i don't remember i said i'm probably probably just driving about probably about 60 something. He said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, he said, you're driving about 63. He said, he said the speed limit here is 55. And, um, he, you know, he, he looked at my, I had my camo on and I had my, I had my, uh, my bow case in the back. Mm-hmm. He looked at me, he said, uh, he said, Oh, he said, uh, he said, he said, he said, he said, you're a bow hunter, huh? I said, I said, yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. Officer. So, um, the whole conversation changed. He said, um, <laughs> well, I, I don't know where he was going initially, but he said, he said, Hey, he said, you're driving a little bit fast. I said, well, I said, I said, officer, I got a call from my girlfriend. So I said, that's why I came out of the woods a little bit earlier. She told me that there's a front coming this way and I'm trying to get home to get in front of the front. He said, uh, he said, he said, you're right. There is a front coming. And so once again, he, he, he said, uh, he said, I appreciate you being honest with me. And even being honest about how about how fast you were driving, he said. Uh, he said, "What kind of bow you hunt?" But I said, "I said I, I hunt with a Hoyt." He said, "Well, I'm not gonna hold that against you." He said, "He said I'm a Matthews guy." <laughs> he said, uh, "He said he, he said uh, he, he said do me a favor, man." He said, "He said slow it down a little bit for me, so I want to see you get home safe." 
And he said, who knows, maybe one day I'll, I'll one day I'll, I'll meet you. I'll, I'll meet you. I'll meet you in the woods. He said, slow it down, man, to be safe and stay and get get home, get home safely. But it was only because of um, it was it was it was that common ground right. that we found. One, I'm not going to lie to him. Hey, this is why I'm this is why I'm driving this way. I'm, and he, he he verified there is a front coming through. Right. He verified that. And um, once again, so. But it was that common ground of the bow hunting that allows us to say that kept me. I, I know that kept me from getting a ticket. Man. Yeah, I didn't have such luck in Warren County. South Carolina-Georgia game, I remember I had all my Georgia um, – I was going hunting the day of the South Carolina-Georgia game, and I had all my South Carolina stuff on my truck. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to get in the stand, and I was listening to the game and getting hot listening to the game and was trying to get in the stand on the afternoon hunt, and I got pulled over. <laughs> I was just like, it's like, you in a hurry? I was like, yeah, full camo, everything on. Didn't have the same uh, out outcome, so that was good for you, though. Good, good congratulations, but <laughs> thanks, sir. I had to drive all the way back to Warren County to go to court, and it's like, no, you cannot charge me. I know you guys need the money, but no, we're not going to charge this for a ticket. That's not what we're going to do. <laughs> Real quick, before I get you out of here, Mark, I wanted one more thing that I wanted you to touch on that we talked about um, a little bit in our pre-conversation. Going through your Instagram, which at the end I'm gonna give you a chance to let everybody know where you they can find you at. But going through your Instagram, looking at your pictures and stuff, you take high quality pictures. You got high quality content from like your hunts, even from your business standpoint, which I understand from a business standpoint. But just talk a little bit about representation and you know making sure that you when you do your hunting stuff. You know, you putting out high quality content and stuff like that because I thought that was really interesting and really cool as well. Well, uh, you know, well, un- unfortunately, when it comes to hunting advertising, rarely do I see people who look like me when it comes to hunting advertising. So, and I sometimes I think people maybe just don't understand that black people really hunt. You <laughs> right. know, and 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 I mean, I know guys who go. I know guys who take bear. I know guys who go to Africa who shoot wild game in Africa yep. who hunt. I know guys who hunt turkeys, guys hunt bears, guys who hunt mule deer, guys who hunt elk. So who do the full gamut? And and I think the hunting industry in general, I think, is missing a tremendous opportunity to show diversity in, in what they're doing because – Catering to the same hunter who, for a lot of people, hunting is a necessity because there's a lot of places where there are meat states right. and they're not trophy states. Yep. And hunters hunt for hunt for meat and not and not and and if you're trying to cater to that guy only, if that guy is spending three hundred dollars a year on hunting stuff, you're not going to get him to spend six and seven hundred dollars. He doesn't have it. Right. That's why he's shooting deer to fill his freezer. Right. So, but if you find other people to tap into, they might still be the same three, four hundred dollar a year investing in their hunting stuff, also. But at least it opens you up to another population of people, uh, another target group that you haven't touched on before. And you know, if you if you look at a person, you know, like you know, like like myself, and probably like you and like a lot number of other people. 
and and I say this from a different bracket is this person has a $2,000 bow, right? They have this that they buy. They have this that they buy. So you might be missing the opportunity. Take, take Black Panther, the movie, right? Right. How many times that we say that people long to see people who look like them in just good quality movies, period, regardless. Yep. And then you gave them a superhero and it became, and it, and it, and it sold records. So the first company that gets smart enough to say that maybe if you take time to show some inclusion, you might find a different target audience that you'll tap into and they might migrate towards. So what I tried, I sent images to, um, to some of the, to some of the brands before. And I, and I had a buddy of mine as a professional photographer take some images for me because I didn't want people to say they didn't have quality enough images if they wanted to show diversity to be able to show it. Right. Right. And I said, you can't talk about it from a gear perspective because I'm hunting with your gear, whether it's your bow, whether it's your performance hunting gear. So whether it's your warm weather gear, your cold weather gear. So if I wanted to send something to Under Armour, one thing you can't say is, well, we love to showcase you, but you don't have a good enough bow. Well, I'm hunting with a professional bow. You can't talk about my gear because I'm wearing your gear. Right. Well, Bushnell, what are you going to say? I got your optics. I got your binoculars. So I just try to give people an opportunity to consider it. I can't make any brand do anything different. You know, about, I think this time last year, actually I was, I was, I was fortunate enough to be on the Under Armour, on the Under Armour site with me out, out in the woods, you know, sitting on my four wheeler. So I, I think Under Armour for once again, taking the time to, to give me the opportunity, you know, to, to, to be, to be, to be featured. Right. But, right, um, right. so once again, I just think that, if you want to see different, you have to give people different. So I encourage people, like you said, if, hey, when you're out there in the woods, shoot some images. You know, you, you, take, you, 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 know, you harvest a nice animal, hey, shoot some images. You know, send them, send them to all they can do is maybe include them. Worst thing they're going to do is they don't include them. Right. But at least you have an image to remember that hunt by yourself. So I just think that um, there's a tremendous opportunity, but we have to remind people and let them know there's a market that's potentially un- that's underserved. And I think even going a step further than that is just creating your own like media opportunities and stuff. Because right. I feel like a lot of times, you know, there are stories that just go ignored, go untold, right. or right. people that right. have a unique, bring a uniqueness into yeah. the outdoors, and they should, you know, that should be a. Uh, that should be told, you know, they should have a spotlight on them. So, right. You know, and I, I think one of the last people that I remember who used to be featured pretty often, I think he was a, I think he was a Hoyt, um, bow guy. Also, I forgot the brother's name. He's a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he used to be, I used to see him from time to time a couple of years ago, but this guy is a surgeon. He makes enough money on his own to shoot his own video, shoot his own footage. He didn't, he doesn't necessarily need a brand for sponsorship. Right. I mean, I don't need a brand for sponsorship, but it would be nice because if it comes to wanting, I, I worked for Nike 
during the course of my during the course of my my business career. So I understand about the wear testing program. I understand about all that performance management stuff, and to have another another person who could wear test your product, who could say, "Let me give you some performance feedback on it. Here's what I noticed." Uh, you know, so once again, there are people out there who can extend those same capabilities as everybody else. And working at Nike from time to time, we create a signature shoe for a particular athlete. We couldn't necessarily give it to the athlete right away. Why? Because as soon as we gave it to him and showed him his shoe that's coming out two, three shoes from now, he wanted to wear it, which means he obsoleted every shoe that's coming after that's coming before that because people saw him with that one on. Right. Right. So you need other people to wear test it who want who can make it perform and stress enough at the same level that this professional athlete can do. So sometimes you need people to wear test those same products for you to give you a point of view also. So exactly. I think it's another way to open up to open up those opportunities if people see you as authentic and know that you understand it and that you live the environment and you are going to give the feedback on the product that they need in order to make product improvements and product enhancements. Wow. Man, you said a mouthful there, bro. You said a mouthful there. I mean, like you said, even with the product testing phase, when you were talking about it, the one thing that stood out to me was just thinking about, like, the whole incident last year with Zion and with his shoe. It's like, hey, you got to get people, you know, product test and I'm pretty sure they did their own product mm-hmm. testing and you know went through the 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 process and whatnot but it's just like when you have a shoe that blows up on a major athlete on national TV that's not a good right. look and right. that can right. be avoided if you do that that type of product testing so right and 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 the reality what probably happened was that was probably a lamination issue where there was probably uh in the lamination process something probably didn't happen correctly. So there's probably a whole bunch of shoes that that's going to happen to, because I doubt it's going to happen to just one shoe. It's it probably delaminated. Right. And, 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 and it came apart, but, but that's, but that's, but that's a, that's probably a factory manufacturing issue, which needed to have been addressed. Mm. Mark, I yep. appreciate your time today, bro. Let people know where they can find you and where they can get in contact with you if they should need your special skill set. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, uh, they can find me on Instagram at I am Mark Six James, M A R K S I X James J A M E S, or they can hit me at info at Panther Protection Services. Dot com. So pantherprotectionservices.com will take you to my website. You can find out a little bit more about our protection agency, the things that we do. And um, or you like or, or hit me up on Instagram. Awesome. Hey, but Adam, but hey, but I, I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you and just kind of chat it up a little bit and talk about what we both love. And that's just kind of getting out in the woods. And I just tell people I'm a real simple guy. I'm just a guy with a bow and a couple of guns that just likes to go in the woods. So. <laughs> nice. I like that. I always, I always tell people I'm just the, you know, just the kid that grew up on a dirt road in South Carolina. So, hey, I totally get it. We definitely got to do this again, Mark. Thank Absolutely. you for coming by, man. I appreciate it. Hey, hey, hey but you know the thing we got to really do? What's that? The heck with this. We got to go get out in the woods together. Hey, you let me know. <laughs> we'll We'll put something together. All right, man.
All right. Take care, brother. Be safe out there. Stay blessed, man. You too. Now, appreciate you. Peace. Brightland. All right. One more time, I want to give a big thank you to Mark James for coming through the Bryantland Country Podcast. We had a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, Mark is a truly unique individual. Uh, the work he's doing in protection services and just how he has translated that life into being a legit badass of a bow hunter is truly remarkable. And I enjoyed you know, him taking some time with me to uh, talk about that. Now, one more thing, actually a couple more things for you guys. Like I said, we're getting ready to start a promotion where we're going to be giving away some stuff here in November. Make sure you keep checking Instagram to find out more about that promotion. Instagram at official Bryant Land. Make sure you're on the Instagram following the brand. And like I said, there's going to be a big announcement coming about a promotion that we're going to be running uh, coming up here really, really soon. Also, make sure you're checking out BryantLandCountry.com. That is our website. That is, has everything Bryant Land on it. It has the videos. It has merch. Christmas is coming up. It's never too early to start your Christmas shopping, people. Go ahead and hit the, the shop button on the Bryant Land Country website and start picking up some merch. We got all of our podcasts, all 43 episodes of the Bryant Land Country podcast, including the bonus apps, the bonus episodes. Don't let those go uh, unturned or uh, overturned. Make sure you listening to the bonus episodes of the Bryant Land Country Podcast. Man, Bryant Land, one-stop shop, bryantlandcountry.com. Make sure you're checking it out. I'm going to get ready to get up out of here. Thank you all again for listening to the BLCP, the Bryant Land Country Podcast. We appreciate the support. Continue to tell five people to tell five more people. Be on the lookout for the giveaway that we're talking about. And I will catch you guys next week on another episode the Bryant Land Country Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bryant Land Country Podcast, hosted by AB3. Please leave us a positive review and five-star rating on iTunes. Be sure to check out our podcast section on our website, bryantlandcountry.com, for previous podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Official Bryant Land and Twitter at 3 Bryant Land. This has been an AB3 Media Production. Join us next time for another edition of the Bryant Land Country Podcast.